Welcome to episode 137 of the Various Sunday Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio, the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who finally has a boss. Yep. John Scott Sloat. Yep. Yep. New boss coming yeah. in. Yeah, he, he listens at the end of this week. Yeah, and he listens to the pod. We, yes, we he learned. is. He is currently yep. Nathan in Ohio. Not, not. Oh, not Nate in Ohio. Not Nate in Ohio. Oh, my. We need to distinguish that. Uh, my but goodness. soon to be Nathan in Indiana. Yeah, Doctor Nathan in Indiana. Yes, yeah. yes. So, uh, congratulations to him, and uh, we look forward to bringing him on board here at Grace. But uh, so, what's been going on, John Slope? Uh, start of the school year stuff. Uh, things are picking up, moving around. So, which that's that's going to be different for you though, because you're not teaching anything, right? Uh, I I do have so I did some teaching over the weekend on vocation with undergraduates in our student mentor program. So I did some teaching there. I run the hike next Tuesday on campus, a big scavenger hunt for mm-hmm. for first year students. Um, we have like celebratory first of the year employee meetings and stuff like that and yeah uh yeah i did learn i have no welcome weekend experience or uh responsibilities responsibilities no expectations on me yeah i i haven't heard what mine are if any i i'm always fearful you you generally have like hey show up at the school of ministry booth for yeah two hours or something like that right yes but aren't they doing I thought we switched almost all of like the pre-registration stuff instead of like going through the mock and going to like 37 different tables to sign up for things to get this or that. It's like I thought they all streamlined that with online. Like that I thought that was a covid thing where because of covid in 2020 they did the do almost all this online, come to the mock, pick up your key and then you're basically Free to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of the form signing and a lot of those things are done online now. At least I think so. A lot of the information getting is online, but still, so, some of those things like picking up your key, mm-hmm. parking tags, things like that, got to be done in person. So gotcha. I think I think they come there to do some of those things. Okay. Well, we'll see if I successfully avoid Saturday morning responsibilities there. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, this is probably the first welcome weekend I haven't been a part of since. 2013. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> right? Will it still function without you? I don't think so. No, I think the world will just collapse <laughs> okay. in on itself. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, speaking of things that will collapse in on itself, uh, if you want to contact the pod, you can find us on Twitter. Oh, that got dramatic. VNS yeah. pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook. We are on YouTube. And uh, we have heard some reports of listeners having some issues accessing la- the latest episodes. Uh, we switched a we switched providers and so we're still ironing out the the wrinkles yeah. with that. Yeah. And the reason the reason for that is there's opportunity with this provider for commercials and things like that that we think will we're hoping comes in in future months. Yeah, I think without doing too deep of the dive here, I think um, 
we need to have some time on this new service for them to get a feel for how many downloads a month okay. they can expect so that they can then – Promoters can see Yeah, that. work with yeah. advertisers and, and such. But uh, we will still leave little pauses in because they can go back and insert commercials into old episodes. So if a, if a, if somebody came on board and said, we want to advertise in your podcast, they could go back to old episodes as long as you've got them tagged as to where to drop the commercials in. Mm-hmm. They can fill those in. Do we have them tagged? Uh, I've got the last five tagged, I think. Oh, OK. So. OK. Yeah. It's not that complicated to go back and do OK. That. So just some just some dull moments on the couch in the evening, just <laughs> clicking and dragging, and yes, finding finding the uh, the uh, a brief spot of dead space between yeah. segments and dropping them in. Um, and the other reason is this host provider is considerably cheaper. Yes, uh, than the yes. last one. So that helps. That does help. That does help. Yes. So uh, let's go ahead and talk some sports here, John. Um, yeah. What. Uh, What's been going on in the world of sports? Um, well, I mean, baseball season's kind of coming to the last quarter maybe of the year. So we're coming into August, September really ends the season. And then uh, and then the playoffs begin in October. And the Mets are how many games up? Five and a half in the division. Okay. And I think we're 25 games over 500, 30 games over 500, something like that. So, yeah, season's going well. Um We've virtually had no injuries, knock on wood, although we did have two guys come out, one with a side injury, which I never like that when they just name a region, you know, <laughs> for an injury. That feels so vague, doesn't it? Yeah. And another guy came out in the same inning for getting a laceration on his hand. Which is just a fancy way of saying a cut. A cut, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, the guy with the cut played next day. So, I mean, we had another guy pull a hamstring. I mean – just little things like that are coming yeah. up. That happened in the course of a season, but uh, four game set with the Braves this week, so that'll be a that'll be a big one. It's in Atlanta. Have you ever been to the Braves complex there in Atlanta? No. They went like outside the city, built a stadium, and built like restaurants and shops all around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a complex. Uh, oh. The Battery, I think, is what it's called in, in Atlanta. <laughs> okay. Um, we went up there when we did our going counter trip to oh. Atlanta, and we were able to get food there. We went to an escape room that's there. Okay. Uh, and you had to park, like, near the stadium. You know, it was it was kind of weird. I assume there's still service to get out there from the whatever their subway, train, metro. Mm. You can't get out there from a public transit? You got to drive. You got to drive. Really? That's yep. surprising. Yep. I shouldn't, I shouldn't shake my head on an audio medium, but uh, – <laughs> Uh, but no, you got to drive out there. You can't get there on the Marta. Marta, that's right. Yeah, you can't get there on the Marta. Yeah. I think you can get to Turner on the Marta. Okay. The old Turner field. Yeah. Marta sounds like, um, you know, a 73-year-old grandmother mm-hmm. who um, – a lovely older woman who loves to knit, bakes awful oatmeal raisin cookies – that kind of thing. Yeah. So the Marta in Atlanta, you uh, get a lot of crazy people yelling swear words at you and yes. all, all sorts of things. And yes, people, I... people sleeping on the Marta. And <laughs> yes. 
Like we we told people that we were riding the Marlin. They're like, are you insane? Right. <laughs> no one. No one rides that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of injuries. I know. Yeah. Let's talk some Jets. Yep. Yep. Your boy, Zach Wilson. It's better than the first, you know, a doctor was on Twitter, which is probably a red flag to begin with. Uh, <laughs> but gets on there and he's, you know, Zach Wilson's running down the field, jukes, and his knee gives out. Non-contact. Non-contact. Which always is the scariest. Always ones. scary. And this doctor gets on Twitter and just goes, that's an ACL. If I've ever seen an ACL tear, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. And uh, But turns out it's just a bruised meniscus or bruised knee bone or something like that. I saw two to four weeks. Two to, two to four weeks. Yep. So he'll miss maybe week one. Week one. Maybe. Yeah. So so who's their backup? Uh, Mike White. Do you remember Mike White from last season? No. <laughs> Uh, he's the one that went in and when they played the Bengals, he put up like 35 points in the offense. OK. Uh, and they beat the Bengals. Is there a more generic name than Mike White? Mike White. Uh, so it's Mike White and Joe Flacco are the backups. Oh, that's right. Flacco's there. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Yes. The yes. man with the most deep set eyes I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Joe Flacco. And apparently Joe Flacco has been playing well in preseason but, or during team Practices drills and stuff. And, yeah. and But sure. who who knows? It's – it's preseason. Well, now they're only doing what? Two preseason games? Is that right? Or three? Oh, you're right. I was thinking there was four. Um, it's two or three now. Because they added the regular season game. I think it's down to two now, isn't it? Is it? Maybe. Oh, um, things change. But uh, yeah, so uh, I mean my interest with the Jets is in the fact that uh, Jeremy Ruckert caught a touchdown pass in their preseason game. And uh, they had Garrett Wilson out there briefly. I mean, you know, you don't – you can tell who, who is valuable to the team by how little they play Yeah. at this point, especially with two or maybe three preseason games now. It's like you, the, every team's trying to walk that line of get guys reps but don't get anybody hurt kind of thing. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think he got a steal in that in uh, in Jeremy Ruckert. Well, and he grew up a Jets fan, yep. which is you know big. Um, and yeah. I think he was probably a little underutilized at Ohio State, not because they intentionally did that, but they just had so many good receivers. Oh, Ohio State is is uh, notorious for underusing tight end talent. They had, um, yeah, just off. They between Ruckert and they had another guy, uh, Luke Farrell, who was also very good. Who just they were night uh, matchup nightmares, and they just didn't use them mm -hmm. a lot because they had, you know, two first round receivers. Yeah, on the and and a guy who will be probably the top wide receiver taken this next year. So, you know, just too many guys to throw to. Yeah. Um, that's a great problem to have. It is a great problem to have. So, what's going on with Ohio State right now? Anything? Anything of note? I mean, it's all preseason camp. Um, Anybody hurt? They're a little dinged up in the secondary, which is concerning. Their corner, they're a little thin at corner. They've got some nagging injuries there, but, um, you know, they, uh, I, I think they've got time. I mean, they open with Notre Dame. Okay. But uh, Notre Dame is is going to break in a new starting quarterback. Had some playing time last year, but not much. 
and they lost their best receiver to an ACL injury or to a knee injury of some kind. Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, I and I think Ohio State is a just under a two touchdown favorite in that game. Okay. So, I, barring them turning the ball over, it's hard yeah. for me to envision how Ohio State loses that game. Yeah, at home. But uh, yeah, it, the big question is how's the defense? Is the defense going to be better? They have to be better. Just the question is how much better than they were last year mm-hmm. when they were historically poor by Ohio State standards. So we shall see. Maybe uh, maybe next week or the week after we'll do a uh, season preview, do our predictions for our favorite football teams. Oh, my goodness. So give you some time to, to prep for that. <sighs> yeah. Well, so much of that <laughs> and, depends. And a chance for you to do math. I like know. That's, math that's, in advance. I thought about that and I thought of <laughs> Danny in Ohio giving me a hard time about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of that depends on Zach Wilson's injury. Yeah, well, you know. wait a couple of weeks and uh, yeah. get a better sense for that. So, all right, are we ready to move on? Yep. Okay, let's move to our main topic. We're talking today about what, John? Well, you know, well, we're talking about God's sovereignty and free will. Oh, is that all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels <laughs> great to do a fifteen-minute spot segment on it, right? Um, <laughs> Just, just let's just pop in and have a brief conversation. Uh, but really, this was born born out of uh, I picked up a book um, from an author that that I really enjoy, uh, Scott Christensen. What about free will? Okay. And I was reading through it, and I thought it would be fun to talk about. However, it's we were just talking like there's a lot of minutia, a lot of detail, mm-hmm. uh, and those things matter. I think they'll be a little hard to convey. In, yeah. a, in a fifteen-minute conversation, but um, yeah, what what are what's your history with this topic? How have you thought about this topic? I think um, I know I probably passed through some degree of the sort of cage stage Calvinist experience mm. that a lot of young guys do when they come across reform theology and sort of the angry sort of. I wouldn't say. Angry. I was never angry. Aggressive. Um, borderline aggressive. Forthright. Forthright. Or just really enjoyed talking about those okay. things. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that that happened in college, and um, I think, you know, th- this is one of those things where as I've grown older, I, I find myself ending uh, ending up in fewer conversations about this. Except for the fact that I'm a Bible professor and I have students who ask me about it. Sure, sure. So you end up in in the classroom talking about this. Less so. Yeah. Do people approach this? Approach you about this? Like on a Sunday morning? Like, Doc, been thinking about this. On a, on rare occasion. Okay. But it's it's more at the student level when I get questions either in class or during break in a class or if we're somewhere near a text or a topic that gets into that mm-hmm. um that'll come up so which makes sense it's a, it's yeah. a it's a young person's wrestling for sure yeah i think so i think so i think uh most people's conclusions about these things are formed i would say by the time they're into their early 20s mm-hmm. um though 
one notable exception to this, my father-in-law. Oh, yes. You've told me this before. You've yes, told me this story. I don't think I've told the story on pod. No, but, I don't think so. But when I first got married, uh, my father-in-law was not uh, was not reformed in his thinking. And and were, were you in the cage stage at this time? I was past the cage stage. Okay, okay. Um, but not super far removed. From okay, that. <laughs> okay. Still had some elements. And yeah. I forget, I forget how this conversation started. But I had a conversation with my father-in-law, and um, it got relatively heated. What my wife couldn't understand, though, is that um, guys can have these like really intense back and forth conversations, and then walk away from them and be like, "You want to go?" throw a football or something like, like guys can be that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there were no hard feelings, no ill will, but we went back and forth, back and forth. And, um, I just kept saying to Tom, uh, things like, okay, show that to me in the Bible, show me in the Bible where you think that. And he was getting more and more frustrated because he couldn't come up with proof texts or whatever. So long story short, um, a few years later, he sat down to write his testimony and um, he's writing it out and he has this sort of realization of there is no good earthly reason why I should be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I have no good re – like there's no, not, there's no reason why I should be a Christian based on upbringing, experiences, background, anything like that. There's no good human explanation for it. So it must be a God thing. Mm -hmm. And that was the switch that, that, that flipped for him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love I love that story because it it just in part shows the character of your father in law, yeah, who, who's who's willing to change his mind. Good thinker, very which good is thinker. Yeah. you know, which is which is a rare gift uh, yeah. today. Somebody willing to change their mind, but yeah, uh, but and at also, the time he was in his like late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, so you know, not you know, not a young man at that point. You know. Yeah, he's not in the cage stage. He's in the get off my lawn <laughs> stage, right? Yes. Yes. Um, which I think he'd – I don't know Tom super well, but he'd approve of that comment, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. OK. OK. For sure. Um, do you want to outline kind of the two main positions that we, that we, that we engage with? Well, right off, right off the bat, I think – and this is true of so many conversations both in our larger culture plus uh, in, in theological circles. But uh, a lot comes down to definitions. Yeah. And when people fail to, to parse out definitions – you get a lot of talking past each other. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when it comes to free will, you tend to have two different understandings of what that means. Uh, there is the libertarian version of free will, which uh, is in essence, it means that you only have free will if you have the ability to choose contrary to what you choose. Mm -hmm. So... Um, that sounds really philosophical. <laughs> I, I know, but that's that's where this conversation. And is that's up. called like what is what is that called? Like the the law of contrary choice or something something along, along yeah. those lines. So, um, another approach to free will, though, is to say that um, you have free will as long as you are able to choose according to your strongest desire at that given moment. Mm -hmm. And that that is that is free will. Those those feel not that far apart. You, you know well, you know what I mean. Like like one of them is like, well, I have the opportunity to choose the other. Mm -hmm. One of them is like, I'm gonna I'm I'm going to always choose in accord with my desires. 
strongest desires. Strongest desires. At, at any given yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, a classic example is sort of the – someone holds a gun to your head and says, give me all of your money or I will kill you. Mm-hmm. OK. Well, um, depending on how you understand free will, you might process that experience a little bit different. Um, if your strongest desire is to remain alive, even though you really don't want to give that person your money, mm-hmm. your stronger desire to remain alive is what's going to drive your choice. So you don't want to give that person your money. You have no desire to do that. However, you have a stronger desire to remain alive. Mm-hmm. So in accordance with that, you give the person your money. The libertarian free will approach would in essence say, well, has nothing to do with your strongest desire. You could you could choose your strongest desire to stay alive or you could just choose to keep your money and die. That mm-hmm. there's no there's no there's nothing that determines mm-hmm. that choice. Yeah. So that that's that's a big piece of that. Um, and could you maybe and I know could you could you map out denominations and who would fall in more to the libertarian camp and who would fall into more of this what what did you call the other camp this uh compatibilist compatibilist camp like could, could you could you outline just even in the broadest terms who would fall sort of where well as a general rule um you know your 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 presbyterians mm-hmm. um your reformed church kind of folks are going to be in the compatibilist end of things okay uh, and then your uh, libertarian free will approaches t- tend to find more ad- adherence in your Methodist, Wesleyan, um, uh, I'd say typically probably Assemblies of God as well, mm-hmm. like some yeah. of those more Pentecostal branches of of the church. And each of those, uh, if, if we could put those on a spectrum, each have their extremes as well. Sure. Where Absolutely. where where uh, the compatibilists can, if, if that's taken to an extreme, could be determinist, right? Like uh, fatalist, yeah, fatalistic, fatalistic, yeah. Um, where everything is determined and there's no human agency whatsoever. Correct. Uh, however, <laughs> uh, on the other end, you have uh, what's become known as open theism, yes. right? Where where God doesn't really have the foreknowledge to know what is going to happen out there in the world. Because it can't be known. Because it can't be known. Because you can't know the free will choices of free mm-hmm. human beings. Yeah. And, and so both of these have extremes yes. that, that are unhelpful. Yes. Um, Correct. And I don't, maybe this goes without saying, you and I are in the compatibilist camp. Yes. Solidly. Yes, we are. Yes. Yes. Very comfortably. Um, could, I, could I throw out – If do, do we have time? Could I throw out three things to you and just hear you maybe respond to them a little bit of, of – Reasons that I hear and and from Scott Christensen's book, What About Free Will? Mm-hmm. He throws out as reasons people go uh, down the free will sort of road. Down the libertarian free down, will. Approach. Down the libertarian free yeah. will okay. uh, road. So uh, this libertarian perspective uh, allows a choosing of God because they have that opposite choice and that if it's determined, this re- it really isn't love. So how, when, when somebody comes to you and says that maybe, maybe after class or mm-hmm. after a chapel, um, what, what's your like elevator pitch sort of response? <laughs> um, well, 
on the one hand, I would simply say um, love is something that can be freely chosen, but that doesn't mean it's not strongly influenced hmm. or even um, enticed. You know, I, I I love my wife and there were things about her that attracted me to her. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a I was randomly looking across a room, saw her and thought, why not her? That's not how it worked. There were things about her that appealed to me that made me want to get to know her um, that were so compelling to me that it motivated me to take action. Mm -hmm. And so um, was that freely chosen? Well, sure. But it was driven by strong desire, mm -hmm. strong interest, strong um, reasons why I wanted to get to know her. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that um, that in order for love to be genuine, it has to be there has to be no sense of compulsion or no sense of determination in that or no sense of 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 uh, influence in that is just not consistent with our normal human experience. Okay. I I'm utterly convinced by that, um, but uh, we'll we'll see. I know I know we have a couple <clears throat> listeners who will probably have some. Oh, I know one in particular. Yeah, some some responses yeah. uh, to this. Um, the second thing that I hear is an argument for the libertarian is that the libertarian understanding of free will undergirds moral responsibility, kind of in a similar vein to the last mm -hmm. one, where if somebody is um, determined to 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 be able to do this, mm -hmm. they're not really being moral. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I mean, kind of a, kind of a similar answer, right? Well, that, yes and no. I mean, um, this is where I think it's probably helpful to be reminded that, uh, in one sense, this this whole conversation, this whole discussion, is an attempt to understand what Scripture says mm -hmm. by going beyond it. Because we necessarily have to go beyond it to try to understand it because in this case, Scripture consistently puts together human responsibility and divine determination mm -hmm. right next to each other and doesn't resolve them in the sense of like give a detailed explanation of how that works. Mm. And so therefore, that's why you have these differences of opinion within both philosophy and theology because nowhere does scripture explicitly give you a detailed description of here's how God's sovereignty and human responsibility works. Yeah, there are no flow charts. No. There are no, no like if A is such and such, you know, yes. there's no proofs or yes. uh, how we get to the but, – but, but somehow they're, they're working together. Yes. So um, – to me, this is one of the most helpful passages in, in at least establishing that, and that's in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. He says, this Jesus – now listen – delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So there's your divine sovereignty. Divine sovereignty just right there. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Human, Human responsibility. responsibility, yeah. In the same sentence, mm -hmm. 
in a gospel presentation, no less. <laughs> and so however we try to resolve this, you have to keep both together. That in some way, God is sovereign over human history. That includes the choices of human beings. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, human beings are accountable and responsible for their choices and their actions before God. And what tends to happen is that when you try to understand this, and I would want to be careful to make it clear, I think this is a tension, not a contradiction. It's a mystery, but not a contradiction. It's not one like, well, see, you, you can't have both. Well, Scripture says you can't. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of us understanding how that comes together. Yeah. And here's also a place where I want to say, um, doesn't it make sense that, the, that an ultimate resolution to this is probably a little beyond our pay grade? Yeah. You know, probably a little bit beyond our human capabilities to, to come up with a, a fully satisfactory, no doubt about it, no questions left unanswered kind of response. Mm -hmm. um, so in any case, that back to the human responsibility part. Um, we still hold people accountable in our courts of law for actions that are strongly influenced to the point where they um, might say, well, I couldn't help it. You know, someone who is addicted to a substance might then end up committing a crime. And we don't say, well, you're not responsible for that. Well, no, you're, you're responsible for the person you killed, mm -hmm. even if it was your addiction to uh, some sort of drug that puts you in that spot to do it, mm -hmm. right? And so just because you're strongly influenced to the point where you feel like you can't do contrary, even in our human court systems, we still hold you accountable for that action. Yeah, absolutely. OK, what, one, one final one. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the libertarian uh, theory of free will would say Adam and Eve clearly had free will. Otherwise, what happened in the garden, God is ultimately responsible for. And they would couch it something like, if a mob boss commissions some some goons to go out and you know rough somebody up, the mob boss is still responsible, even though he hasn't actually done the thing. Um, so yeah. uh, in there, they they would I, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong. They would say compatibilist would say um, <clears throat> compatibilist are, are basically saying God is the author of evil. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I'm sure you've heard this before. Yeah, I'm sure I'm not hitting you with any new with any new information. <laughs> like, like if 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 you were to look at me right now and go, "Oh my gosh, I've never thought of that before," <laughs> I I would I don't know how I'd respond. We'd probably just edit. We yeah we <laughs> we'd probably hit pause, have a crisis. There you, you know, go. There um, you go. Pray. Well, we sure. do we do something. I mean, I I think it is helpful to remember and to understand that uh, Adam and Eve were in a different situation than we are. Mm -hmm. So even if I want to grant you, sure, Adam and Eve had libertarian free will, which I don't think how it works anyway. But mm -hmm. in any case, um, before they sinned, 
they did have the ability to both choose the right, the good, mm-hmm. to be obedient to God, and the ability to sin and to choose evil and disobey God. After that, after they disobeyed, because everyone is a descendant of them and represented by Adam, all of us come into this world with a bent towards sin. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're not in the same situation that Adam and Eve were. We, we, We don't have that same set of circumstances. Now we as human beings cannot not sin before we come to know Christ. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything that's that's good from a from some sort of level. Obviously, sure. that's true. But uh, we are so fundamentally altered by the entrance of sin into the world and 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 affects us in every single way, in every single aspect of our lives, that even the unbeliever's best actions are in some way tainted by sin. Now, when a person becomes a believer, when God regenerates them, brings them to spiritual life, there is a sense then in which they can both choose to obey God and they can choose not to obey God. Mm -hmm. And then once we get glorified bodies in a new creation, we will not be able to sin. Wow. (laughs) Which is a great thing. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm just reflecting on that. that. That's that's incredible. I mean, how amazing is that going to be? You're not going to be able to sin. You won't have even the remotest inclination towards wanting to sin. Yeah. That is amazing to think about. That's that's mind boggling. And that's certainly not libertarian free will. Mm -hmm. And so however you want to parse this out, you, you have to acknowledge that um in the in the new creation, you're not going to have libertarian free will because you're not going to be able to sin. Yeah. Um, there's no going to there's not going to be a, a a contrary choice no, to make. No. Interesting. Um, and we will love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will be thrilled with that. Um, and so, I think, you know, I, moral responsibility uh, does not hinge upon libertarian a libertarian understanding of free mm-hmm. will. One of the things that uh, Scott Christensen and I'll, I'll link the book in the show notes because because I, I think he does a good job. He does, uh, you know, he's reading guys like Roger Olson mm-hmm. and Geisler, I think it is, yep. uh, um, and and quotes them frequently. And he does yeah. a really good job of engaging with them and yet pushing back on them. And he does it in a really logical way. Sure. And I really appreciate him as an author. One of the things that he talks about when he's talking about that is just because something is meant for evil does not mean that there isn't a good purpose for it down the road. Sure. Uh, and so he uses the story of Joseph, mm-hmm. right? Sort of sort of the culminating story uh, of the Old Testament or the Old Testament of the book of Genesis, right? Where, mm-hmm. where Joseph is sitting with his brothers and he says, you meant something for evil by throwing him in a pit, selling him to, into slavery, all, all these things. Yep. But God uh, meant this for good. Yeah. Um, and – and so just, just just because something evil happened doesn't mean that God doesn't have redemptive purposes for it. Right. And even there, you know, now, now we're swinging into, in one sense, the other part of the conversation that we're not going to really address today is understanding the divine sovereignty piece of that. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're, you're sort of open theist, obviously an extreme on, an, on one end would say, well, yeah, God is just the 
God is the ultimate cosmic problem solver. And so he didn't want Joseph to go into slavery. He wasn't in any way involved in that. But when it happened, he's able to salvage and make a bad situation end up being really good, <laughs> which just seems utterly um, – Utterly bizarre to me. Yeah. The divine recycler. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Taking milk jugs and making chairs, you know. So. Um, well, this may have been the most philosophical. Is that the right word? It could be. It yeah. Could be. Conversation we've ever had. Have it, we have we had others on the pod? I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I. You know, it's funny. When we get in here and start recording, it's like I forget almost everything we've ever talked about before on the pod. It's like our first conversation <laughs> every week. That's right. Um, let's talk about some resources here. Actually, you know what? I, I do want to hit one other thing. I've got a tag on there and I I know we're going a little bit long, but I think this would be helpful. Let's just touch on briefly. Why does it matter? Like are there any practical implications that come out of your view of free will? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think um, one thing that comes to mind for me and and if a libertarian person out there wants to push back on this, feel, feel free. It seems to me that a number of their like so what tends to be human behavior oriented, like, like a little mm-hmm. bit of behavior modification like uh, – Twist and fix these things. You know. You know. You know. Mm-hmm. Choose the right thing at the right time. Uh, whereas a compatibilist, it seems much more heart level and a much more intention level uh, 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 changing. Mm-hmm. It feels like how do I go after my heart rather than how do I go after my actions? Okay. Um, and so I think that's one one way this really matters. At, le- at least to me, that that feels significant. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? Yeah, I think um, I'll I'll say two that are kind of interrelated. Um, uh, The first would be um, would be prayer. Hmm. Um, I I struggle to understand how how someone who holds to a libertarian free will position uh, prays, Hmm. and not not that they're not motivated to do it, but thinking about when you typically pray about a situation or, or something, aren't you in essence asking God to act? Aren't you in essence asking God, please do this? Yeah. So I don't know how that in some ways doesn't uh, get into that territory of, yes, God, override their free will from a libertarian free will perspective and move them in this direction. Like if you want um, you know, maybe you're praying for a loved one to be saved. You know, what specifically? I guess you you could be praying for, you know, woo them, persuade, you know, like entice them. Do but like, not you're not praying. God change their heart. Like yeah. just go in directly and do the work. And I would say, um, related to that is the issue of evangelism. Mm-hmm. That when you're when you're sharing the gospel with someone, you might feel more pressure if it depends upon you appealing to their human reason and logic and evidence and that sort of stuff to convince them of their own free libertarian free will to make a decision for Christ. You might feel more pressure. Oh, absolutely! I've talked to so many students that are just like, 
I don't like that someone's eternal destiny is on my shoulders. So, and I kind of go, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Relax. It's not. Pray like crazy. Yeah. Be a faithful witness. It doesn't rest on you. Uh, let's hit some quick resources here. We'll have more than we'll mention here in the show notes. But um, what's the name of the book you've been – Yeah. Scott Christensen, What About Free Will? Um, okay. Great. Uh, reconciling Our Choices with God's Sovereignty. Yes. We, we'll have a couple of lengthier uh, resources in here as well. But there's two articles by John Piper on their Desiring God website that are good introductory kind of mm. stuff before I send you off to a two-volume set or Jonathan Edwards on, the, on Freedom of the Will, which is a tough, tough read. Um, I, I know you have Orlando Sayer. Is mm-hmm. that how that's pronounced? Yep. Big God. I have read that before. Good, yeah. good yeah. read. It's a great title. Big God, How to Approach Suffering, Spread the Gospel, Make Decisions, and Pray in Light of a God Who Really Is in the Driving Seat of the World. Yeah. That's almost a Puritan title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh we good to move on from here? Yeah, I think so. Ready to move on? Let's do today in sports history. All right. Uh, 1920, the Cleveland Indian shortstop Ray Chapman is hit in the head by New York Yankees pitcher Carl Mays. He dies the next day uh, in the only MLB-related fatality. That's why I included it. That's wild to me that in a game with um, what some would consider a weapon – you know that bat that yeah. that more people haven't uh, more people haven't died. Well, or you know, hit by a pitch before they really had those hard helmets. Yeah. Um, I wonder if balls just weren't as hard. Maybe I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's it is remarkable that I guess there's only been one fatality. Yeah. Yet. I mean, and baseball has been going on forever. I mean, yeah, like, well, 150 years yeah. basically. Um, I did read recently that uh, in like the 1920s, they experimented with like the neon yellow ball. Yeah. Uh, like – and it stuck in softball, but it didn't stick in baseball. Yeah, that's I interesting. Thought, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, uh, 2008, uh, Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt sets new world record of 9.69 seconds to win the 100-meter gold at Beijing. That's moving along. Yeah, I think anything under 10 is – A year later, he broke it and put it down to 9.58, which I think might – is still the still world the record. record. Which is crazy. That's wild. Um, yeah, fast dude. We talked about him a yep. couple weeks ago, right? We're, we're in Olympic season here with August. Yeah. Uh, also 2008 – oh, we yeah. Uh, American <laughs> swimmer Michael Phelps wins his seventh of eight gold medals at the Beijing Olympics. Uh, when he takes uh, the 100-meter butterfly. Yes. By Man. 0.01 seconds over – Yeah, I wasn't going to try to pronounce this. That's why Milorad I Milorad Chavic, something like that. Yeah, it's got some yeah. markings on it that I'm – From uh, Serbia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2009, uh, PGA Championship men's golf, uh, Hazleton National Golf Club. Did I get that name right? I is think that, so. Is that right? Uh, Yang Young Un, I don't know if I got that right, of South Korea, wins his first major title by three strokes over Tiger Woods. And I think that was the first tournament where Tiger lost after having the 54-hole lead. Mm. So that's I think that's what's significant about that one. Interesting. All right. And 2020, our final one, uh, the World Snooker Championships. At the Crucible Theater, Sheffield in, in England, Englishman 
Ronnie O'Sullivan. Sounds like he should be Irish. Sounds Irish to me. Uh, wins his sixth world title uh, with an 18 to 8 win over countryman uh, Crine Wilson. I think Kyron there. Kyron yeah. Wilson? Oh, boy. I mean, that's the f- this is our first foray into uh, the snooker world championships. Here. What what even is snooker? <laughs> You're not, it's a form of pool. or billiards. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Okay. I was thinking cards. <laughs> <laughs> At least I think that's what that is. Wow. All right. So uh, I think we could probably rule out Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt because we've already – We've already hit them. Yeah. yeah. So um, – that leaves us with either Yang Yong Un, uh, Englishman Ronnie O'Sullivan, or Ray Chapman. I think I think we need to pay our respects to Ray. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yes, let's go with Ray Chapman then. One thing you liked. Uh, so I already mentioned it, but this weekend I got to go uh, out to a student mentor retreat out at Epworth's Forest. Have you been out to the campground out there? The, the I haven't. Convention center. It's a beautiful space. If you get one of the newer buildings, the older buildings are a little run down. Okay, but the newer buildings quite nice, and uh, and got to got to teach on vocation a little bit to our student mentors and encourage them to have vocational conversations with some of their. Um, with some of their uh, first-year students and as well got to lead a panel discussion of faculty and some staff on uh, vocation and how they view vocation. And that was, I I think, a good starting point for us in the school year. So, yeah, that was really enjoyable. Excellent. Excellent. So um, not surprisingly perhaps, um, I am going to go with a book. uh, Summer is always a time where I get to do a little bit more reading and so – uh, I recently finished most of uh, a book by my PhD mentor, Doug Moo, A Theology of Paul and His Letters. It's a big fat like – I was thumbing through that the other day. 650-plus yeah. page book. Um, and so it's it's the sort of the mature reflections of a uh, seasoned Pauline scholar who's you know written on Paul for you know 40-plus years, 40, 45 years. Mm. And it's an interesting book in that uh, he's got some introductory issues that he treats and then he does a uh, book by book. In other words, each book of the Pauline corpus, he does an extended exposition of it. Just kind of walks through, does an exposition and then he does synthesis Hmm. in the second half of the book where he puts together with more of a thematic approach. So it's a great great resource uh, to have on your shelf if you're going to preach any of the Pauline epistles both from a – uh, just getting an overview of the flow of thought of a particular letter as well as giving getting the larger structure of his thought. Yeah. No, that's great. So anyway, I think we probably need to land this plane. We're going a little bit long today, but you're the one that chose the free will topic. So. I did. I did. And I still think it's a fascinating topic. But anyway. It is fascinating. It is fascinating. We have talked about uh, Jet's injury issues. We have talked free will. We have talked about Ray Chapman. May he rest in peace. Yeah. We've talked about uh, your speaking tour on vocation, not vacation, vocation. Vocation. Very different. And uh, we've talked about Doug Moo's new book, A Theology of Paul, and his letters. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is until next time. 
the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.